when you think of the advances made by women in the first two decades of the 20th century, we naturally mainly think of the suffragettes, especially those who took part in violent actions and risked going to prison. And there are plenty of Norfolk examples of such women, which we shall come to later. But first, as we're thinking, there are many other ways in which women were advancing their rights and their positions at that time. One such was the field of medicine. Until the last couple of decades of the 19th century, women simply could not qualify as doctors. None of the colleges or universities would allow women to take the courses. Towards the end of the century, one or two women did take courses abroad and then come and practice in England. But gradually, women started practicing in England, going to various colleges as the glass ceiling was pushed higher and women could indeed take the relevant examinations. One such was Ethel Williams, not very well known in her own county of birth. She was born in Cromer in 1863. And she went on to become a qualified doctor and did amazing work in London and then later for most of her life in Newcastle. In fact, she's highly esteemed in Newcastle, but a hall of residence at Newcastle University is actually named after her, named after Ethel Williams, born in Cromer. Another well-known early doctor was Sophia Jex Blake of the family of, of Jex Blake in Norfolk, and her mother was a Cubit, so two prominent Norfolk families in her background and she did most of her work as a leading pioneer of bringing women into medicine in Edinburgh and then later in London. At a local level the first doctor, female doctor that I know of in Norwich was Mary Bell, Dr Mary Bell who has come in at the end of the 19th and the early years of the 20th century if you look in medical trade directories for Norwich, in the first decade of the 20th century, you see maybe 50 names, and hers is the only female name amongst them. So this is Dr Mary Bell. She, like Ethel Williams, was also active in the suffragist movement, as we shall come to that in a moment. Although people think of 1918 as the year that women got the vote. That's a rather simplified way of putting it. But that means they first got the vote for parliamentary elections and by the same token that they could stand to become members of parliament for the first time. But in the previous 20, 30, 40 years, they had been gaining positions of quite reasonable power in various other forms of local government. Often the same woman would serve in two or three different positions. A good example is Ethel Leach of Great Yarmouth. Her name is remembered by some as there is a school named after her, or it's not in Yarmouth anymore. And she had various local positions. She was on the Board of Guardians, for example. The Guardians were elected officials who looked after the poor who ran, ran the workhouse. And although they began in 1834, it's about 1880s, 1890s, they started to get women on the boards of guardians, usually just two or three out of maybe 15 uh, people. But Ethel Leach was the first in Great Yarmouth to come on the board of guardians. She was also 
the first woman in Great Yarmouth to get onto the school board. School boards were set up after the 1870 Education Act to provide free schooling for everybody in a particular area. And by the 1880s, 1890s, again, you were getting usually one, two, three women on a school board. Ethel Leach, again, one of the first in the Norfolk, on the Yarmouth school board. As more forms of local government came into existence at the end of the 19th century, women found that they could vote and stand in these local government positions as well. For example, parish councils from the 1890s often had two or three women on them. And there was a major step forward in 1907, when for the first time women could not only vote but actually stand in the elections for borough councils, city councils and county councils. And yet again, Ethel Leach was one of the first coming into Great Yarmouth standing for the local elections, borough council elections in 1908. This was such a sensation that she got the front page of Daily Mirror to herself for her candidature. Sadly, she was not elected, but later on she does become a councillor, an alderman and indeed a mayor of Great Yarmouth. So there's an example in a relatively small town of one woman leading the way in many fields. Uh, perhaps an equivalent within Norwich would be Annie Reeves. Annie Reeves was a socialist. She was on the Board of Guardians also. I don't think she was ever on the school board. And she was also the first woman ever to run for Norwich City Council. This was in 1908. She was the only woman again in 1909, but in neither case was she elected. The first woman to be on the Norwich City Council was Mabel Clarkson in 1913, and she was the only one until after the war, until the 1920s, when you start getting maybe four or five women on the City Council, and you start getting, even on the County Council, you get a woman after the 1920s, Lady Suffield from Cromer, and the other borough and district councils gradually taking on a small number of women. Most prominently, of course, would be Ethel Coleman, again a suffragist, we should come back to that, uh, later a, a councillor for Norwich, and of course in 1923 to 1924 she becomes Lord Mayor of Norwich, and not only is she the first Lord Mayor of Norwich, she's the first Lord Mayor of any city anywhere in England. So here's a major step forward, led by a Norfolk woman. Another woman who achieved prominence in the suffragist movement, I, who was not prepared to do anything illegal, but who campaigned for the vote for women in the early years of the century, was Mary Sheepshanks. Some people know that name, Sheepshanks, because her father, which is him in the photograph, was um, Bishop of Norwich. She was not actually born in Norwich. By the time he had become bishop, she was at Cambridge University. But she used to come back and visit him, and because of her radical views on politics and religion, she was not, I think, particularly welcome at the Bishop's Palace. But she was a leading force in the peaceable suffragist movement. 
She was the editor of an international magazine. In later life, she was also a pacifist. So she plays a big role in many movements which women are leading in the early parts of the 20th century. So people like Ethel Coleman, Mary Sheepshanks are suffragists. They campaign for the vote for women, but they do not take part in any illegal or violent acts. They take part in marches, protests, petitions. They were part, for example, of the greatest of the all the marches, peaceful protests, is for pilgrimage of the summer of 1913, when thousands of women walked to London from all over the country, the whole process being timed so that they would all meet up together in Hyde Park on a particular summer's Saturday. And women, Norfolk women took part in that. We know many groups coming from Kings Lynn, for example, from Hanstanton, from Great Yarmouth, from Cromer and from Norwich, all converging ultimately in a massive great peaceful demonstration in Hyde Park, London, in the summer of 1913. Other women whom we know of as suffragettes rather than suffragists were prepared to take a violent action to destroy property and to go to prison and once in prison went on hunger strike. And there are examples of this sort of action taking place in Norwich and Norfolk in the years immediately before the First World War. This is a house at Eton, a house which had just been built and was empty, that should be stressed, because it was a policy of the suffragettes. But although property should be destroyed, nobody's lives should ever be put at risk. So this newly built house for Mr Webster at Eton, which had not yet been occupied, was set fire to and suffragette leaflets were found distributed around. The most famous of the suffragettes linked activities, destructive activities in Norfolk would have been the destruction in April 1914 of a pavilion of Great Yarmouth Pier, which burned down one particular night in April. Again, suffragette leaflets were found scattered about nearby and it was assumed that this was the work of suffragettes, although no one was ever tried for the matter. It's far from certain that it was a be local suffragettes, it may have been. There was a branch of the WSPU, the more violent wing of the suffragette movement, had been founded in Yarmouth in 1913, led by a Miss Kate Guffery. But the suspicion is it was from the destruction was caused by suffragettes coming in from elsewhere. In fact, at the time, there was a very large gathering of suffragettes at Lowestoft in connection with a teacher's conference there. Other Norfolk women did take part in violent suffragette activities, but usually outside the county. Mabel Pratt, for example, Miriam Pratt, I should say, Miriam Pratt, was a Norwich school teacher at St Paul's School in Norwich. In 1913, she set fire to two buildings, again empty buildings, in Cambridge while she was taking part in a by-election campaign down there. This is her taking part in a peaceful activity, demanding the repeal of the Cat and Mouse Act, which was the act that let hunger-striking ladies out on licence and then called them in again when they were better. This protest is taking place 
in Norwich Marketplace in the summer of 1913, after she has committed her acts of arson, at this time she's out on bail, and in later at the Assize Court in the autumn of 1913, she's sentenced to two years in prison in Holloway, and she goes on hunger strike. So she's a good example of a Norfolk woman taking an active part in the national suffragette movement. She's the only Norfolk woman I know mentioned in Sylvia Pankhurst's autobiography, for example. Another Norfolk woman involved in suffragette activities was a Violet Aitken. She was the daughter of Canon Aitken, who was a canon of Norwich Cathedral and lived in the Close. And she was a close friend of the Pankhursts. And she took part in the great organised window smashing of March 1913, where all the windows of the posh shops in London were simultaneously destroyed by girls, ladies with hammers and other such weapon stones in a frenzy of activity organised by Ebony Pankhurst, but for her ladies, whom she liked to think of as her army. And Violet Aitken was one of these. The Norfolk Record Office has the diary of her father, Canon Aitken, expressing the shock that he feels when he has found out that this is what Violet is up to. Violet was an, helped edit the suffragette magazines for the Pankhursts for a short while, but she, like many other women, had a row with the Pankhursts, so she didn't do that for very long. Another suffragette from Norfolk, also with clerical backgrounds, was Flora Graham. Her real name is Grace Markham, Markham, and she was the daughter of the vicar of Edgefield in North Norfolk. And she was one of these women who, as a protest, went into the National Gallery and slashed paintings there. So she too was sentenced to jail and she too went on hunger strike. And she, like Miriam Pratt, was in jail at the time when the First World War broke out. First World War led to a truce. All the suffragettes on, in prison or out on licence on hunger strike were allowed to go free. And many of the suffragettes, like the Pankhursts, took aboard the idea that they would abandon the actual suffragette cause during the war and devote their powers to prosecuting the war as vigorously as they could. But quite a large body of suffragettes or suffragists in fact took the opposite line, in fact took the view that the First World War was a complete waste of time and that they should adopt anti-war attitudes and they took part in things like the People's Peace Crusade and similar movements to try and bring the war to a stop. Ethel Williams, was, for example, was one of these. Mary Sheepshanks, another. So Dorothy Dewson also. So several of the leading suffragettes were taking the anti-war line. But other women were fully prepared to go into the war and engage themselves for the first time. Women could actually join the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, women's branches, of course, of these. And some of these women even paid the the final price, this is Violet Davies' tombstone in North Elmham. She was in the Women's Royal Air Force. 
and was killed in action. Actually, she died of an illness while she was on an airbase. So here are women playing full part in the war, in new roles. This is the first war where you get women coming in, actually, to the armed forces. You also get women, of course, pursuing the traditional role of women in wartime, becoming nurses. The most famous of all these nurses is also from Norfolk, Edith Cavill of Swarderston, who, as is well known, was actually shot by the Germans, so she too died violently. She was shot by the Germans for helping prisoners to escape from Belgium. She was in Belgium, working in the hospital even before the war broke out, and once there, she assisted Allied forces to escape, and for this she was shot by the Germans, buried in Brussels, her body later moved back to Norfolk, to Norwich, and her whatever the legal justification for executing her, it also created a tremendous propaganda weapon for the Allies. They could say, look at what the awful Germans are doing. They are killing our women. Do join the army. Avenge Edith Cavill. You see posters. Army recruitment posters saying things like that. And she was a tremendous force, undoubtedly. Which is interesting that when Prime Minister Asquith, former Prime Minister Asquith by this time, announced that he was going to vote for women having a vote in Parliament. He said this was because of what women had done during the war and made him realise that it was ridiculous they shouldn't have a vote. And the one name he cited was actually the name of Nurse Edith Cavill. So here is a Norfolk woman, through her actions playing an enormous part in the bringing forward of the vote to women throughout the country. A tremendous series of achievements and, of course, by soon as not that long after the war ends, you actually start getting women not only voting, but standing for Parliament. First one in East Anglia is Dorothy Dewson, who stood in 1923 for Labour for Norwich. She was a suffragette in her time. She was a supporter of Miriam Pratt, for example, put up the money for her trial. And she was also a trade union worker in the First World War. Interestingly, when she was trying to defend the rights of women workers in court. She couldn't do so as a lawyer because women were not yet recognised in the profession of the law. She could only do so as a friend of a person whose case was being fought for. But by 1923, she could become and did become an MP. She was followed in that field by Lucy Buxton in 1930 in North Norfolk and she was also later MP for Norwich. So relatively soon after the giving of a vote to women in Parliament, you're starting to get strong women MPs, and that is a tradition for which Norfolk and Norwich, I think, can be very proud, as it can of its many, many strong women over the centuries from Boudicca to Lucy Buxton and beyond. 